Welcome to the Smut and Spice podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Ashley. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about The Havoc Boys by C.M. Stoonich. This will be a two-part episode due to the large amount of content we'll be covering. Be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. Some content in this episode may be triggering, such as murder, violence, child abuse, rape, and sexual abuse. Listen at your own risk. So, the Havoc series, also known as Havoc at Prescott High for the first book, is a five-book series by C.M. Stunich, and it takes place at Prescott High, which is kind of a high school on the wrong side of the tracks kind of vibe. Uh, it's a different type of bully reverse harem because the bullying happened two years ago in terms of the world that we're living in in the book. So in a typical bully uh, reverse harem, we would see active bullying throughout the book. But instead, we see bits and pieces of the bullying through flashbacks and through our narrator's perspective. But it's not actively happening. This is a revenge-based story with our female main character, whose name is Bernie, wanting to get revenge on the several different people who have harmed her throughout her life and have caused trauma for her. There are five guys in the harem, and each guy is uh, na- not named after, but <laughs> the name Havoc uh, that has the first initial of each of the guys' names. So H is for Hale, A is for Aaron, V is for Victor, O is for Oscar, and C is for Callum. Anything you want to add about the series? think so other than this is one of my favorite reverse harems and i know that it has a pretty large fan base so that's why we opted to choose this for our you know our first real in-depth episode yeah this was recommended a lot on the different reverse harem facebook pages that we're a part of uh which is why ashley and i first started reading it in the first place and i know that it's a favorite among the community and it's one of our favorites too so while you might hear us uh criticizing some things just know that this has a very special place in our heart and we very much love this story yeah and i think it's important for our listeners to remember that we wouldn't be discussing these books if we didn't truly love them. And there's always going to be something in every single book that you read that you're not a huge fan of, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you dislike the series or that you dislike the author. So our plan for this episode is to just go through books one, two, and the first half of book three, because we have a lot of notes and a lot of things that we want to cover. So we know it's going to definitely put us over an hour. Uh, And then the following week, we will put together the rest of book three, four, and five, and then do a wrap-up on the whole series for that episode. So this whole series will take place over two weeks of our podcast. So episode one, uh, episode one, book one, (laughs) is Havoc at Prescott High. Uh, I know Ashley wanted to take a minute to talk about each of the covers. We know that this is Vic on the cover of this one. How do you feel about this cover, Ash? So I feel like this this is a pretty good cover. Um, I definitely think that, you know, if you're a reader of romance and reverse harems, you'll definitely be drawn to it. I mean, Bernie looks amazing. Vic looks fantastic. 
personally, it's not my favorite cover. Um, and I'll go, you know, I'll kind of give a ranking as we get closer to being done the whole series, but it's wonderful and Bernie looks smoking hot. <laughs> that she does. I do like that they got her pink hair in the cover too, since that's talked about quite a bit in the book. Yeah, that's, you know, something that's really big in this series. And, you know, you'll find later down the line that she does go through a transformative experience and changes her hair just like, you know, I feel like most of us do when we've experienced trauma or need a change in our lives. So be prepared so for that. So speaking of Bernie, she is our female main character throughout the entire series. And she really starts us off strong in this first book by immediately calling Havoc. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to call Havoc in this universe. Do you want to go over that, Ash? Sure. So basically calling Havoc is you're reaching out to, you know, Hale, Aaron, Victor, Oscar, and Callum, and you're going to ask a favor of them, and you're going to have to pay, you know, depending on what it is, it's usually a pretty steep price. Um, Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in Bernie's case, it's definitely going to be a steep price, but she's also asking for, you know, a pretty large favor. Um, And I don't really think that, especially early on, it's not really mentioned what some of the other Havoc favors have been. Um, We just learned pretty early on that Bernie herself has been subject to, I guess, the torment of Havoc. Yeah, we we learned that Bernie was a victim of Havoc in her sophomore year when her best friend called Havoc and asked them to basically destroy Bernie's life. And when we talk about prices, uh, Oscar is really like the mathematical genius behind Havoc. And he has a formula where he determines a um, good enough price to charge someone for whatever the favor is that they're asking. And he runs all of these uh, probability equations to determine if what they're asking is even possible and all that kind of stuff. So he determines the price. After you ask the favor and then he brings you the price and you have to determine, are you willing to pay that price? And if you are, then they are going to go ahead and uh, exact whatever revenge or whatever punishment you've decided on. And as long as you pay the price, then everything's good. And do you think that we should discuss the list first or the fact that they give her, you know, several opportunities to kind of back out of calling havoc before they give her you know what the price is going to be oh we can go into the list first so uh bernie's revenge list as i like to call it uh is made up of several different people in her life who have caused her trauma so on this list you will find her stepfather her mother an ex-boyfriend um her best a friend. foster brother her best friend the social worker social worker it's and you find out it's not immediately revealed at the beginning of the book but you find out throughout the entire series why these individual people are deserving of the revenge that her and havoc are uh meeting out on them so speaking of the price when bernie initially calls havoc the boys just are kind of shocked and they are just they give her a lot of like what Ashley was saying they give her a lot of opportunities to back out there's a lot of are you sure's and you don't have to do this and we'll give you more time to decide 
Yes. Don't, um, don't give me an answer today. So Vic comes back and says that the price is that she has to be Havoc's girl. Is this defined in any way? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like that becomes more clear when it's the moment where she's pretty much sealing the deal what this entire thing entails. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, Bernie immediately just assumes that they're talking about sex. Like, she's like, okay, uh, I'll be your girl. That just means that you're going to pass me around and have sex with me whenever you want. But that's not what they mean. That's not... When Vic is talking about being Havoc's girl, like, he is not talking just about sexual gratification. He's talking about her being an active member of Havoc and, like, contributing to them as an organization. Oh, speaking of, we haven't really talked about Havoc as an organization. So Havoc has a lot of meetings in this book. So Havoc is the boys. It's also the verb of calling Havoc. And then it's the gang itself. But they would tell you that they're not a gang. They're a family. So it's Havoc is a group. It's the five core guys. But then they also have several other people who work for them. Uh, that they hire around the high school and do different jobs for them to help them run the gang the way that they want to. But her being a member of Havoc is like her being a core member who's seen as contributing. Yeah, which I don't think that that was necessarily like clear to me in the beginning. Like, No, it definitely wasn't. I I also had more of that, you know, idea that she was just going to be passed around for sex between the boys. And I think that's kind of what, and obviously I'm not the author myself, so I can't speak to this, but I do think that was kind of the impression that she wanted you to have. Because we don't know the investment that these guys have in Bernie at the beginning of the story. So it's kind of difficult for us to predict how they want to use her other than using her for sex, because we don't understand what the relationship is between them. So in the beginning of the book, we also get a little bit of an introduction to some of my favorite characters. Um, one of them being Miss Keating, who is the assistant principal at Bernie School and the only redeemable educator in this book. I love her so much. And I love um, the, Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Ash. Um, and I personally love the fact, I don't think that it's mentioned in this first book. Uh, we're going to find out about it later. But we do find out that she's a former gang member and she wants to look out for Bernie and do right by her. And I think that... That's so important, especially in a school like Prescott High, which you're going to learn, you know, if you haven't already from the brief description that we've given you of Havoc. This is a rough town and a rough area and a rough school. And these kids really need help and need positive role models and mentors. So kudos yeah, to Ms. CM Keating. Stunich for having Miss Keating in the book. Yes. Miss Keating is like fighting for kids and she's the only adult in this book well that's like actively doing what is best for the kids in her community it's mentioned how she's aged significantly and like hasn't she only been there for like three years or something and she looks she's probably in her 30s and she looks like she's 50 girl that's what education does to you takes it out of you yes Uh (laughs) but yeah we we stand miss keating we love miss keating um, another character that I love is Stacy Langford. She's she's portrayed as the queen bee of the school, like the one who is in charge of all of the girls. 
but she's she's not like a mean girl like Regina George. She's as I said in my notes, the ultimate queen bee and believer in hoes before bros because she's constantly looking out for Bernie, even though her and Bernie aren't close. She's like, you got to be careful, girl. You don't know what you're getting into. Like, stop messing around with these dumbass boys. And I love that about her character, like that she that Sam Stanish didn't write like a typical mean girl character for the one who's running the girls in the school she's much more a girl who wants to look out for everyone yeah stacy and her girls are so tight and you can definitely tell how envious bernie is of someone that has those types of female relationships because bernie doesn't have time for all of those things in her life she she's really dealing with a lot at home especially in the beginning of the series and on top of dealing with all of her trauma so it seems like it's very difficult in general for her to form relationships that aren't based on trauma bonding like she has with the boys in Havoc. So she does seem kind of jealous. She's not jealous of Stacy like you would typically think, but she's jealous of the relationships that Stacy has with the other girls around the school because it's not something that she is able to maintain because of just the state of her life in this moment. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that we should mention is um, – because I don't see us talking about it, but um, Bernie is very responsible in the fact that she, you know, really looks out for her younger sister, Heather. And, you know, that entails making sure that Heather gets to school on time and goes to after school care and is basically away from home as much as possible. So her free time is pretty much non-existent. And that relationship with her sister is the most important relationship in her entire life yes every decision that bernie makes pretty much throughout the entire story is for the sake of her sister yeah and making sure that her sister is protected well that's the reason why she's called havoc and Mm -hmm. has this list so i mean bernie is just already such like a selfless badass person so we love her as a female main character. Yes. She, I think CM Stunish does a great job of portraying her strength while also being realistic. Because they think it's very easy for authors to write like a badass female main character who can do it all. But it's much more difficult to write a realistic female main character who is badass because of like the trauma she's overcome and the things that she's gone through in her life. But also can't do 100% of the things correctly all of the time. Like, Bernie makes mistakes. Bernie fucks up. But she does it in a realistic way. Uh, so another thing I wanted to mention was, even though we know now that they didn't just want her for sex, Vic is totally fine with her believing that. <laughs> the sexual tension between them immediately is off the charts. So she goes over to his house to, like, officially accept his um, deal for Havoc. And he's like, okay, then sit on my lap and make out with me. And then they're like about to fuck in his front yard. Yeah, he's and then definitely his dad like, interrupts. He is seriously like, fuck me as she's grinding on his lap in the front yard. And like, I was like, what please. an exhibitionist. I was like, please let this happen. I wanted it to happen so bad because I'm pretty sure Bernie's like, oh, like his neighbors are out front. Like this is... 
they're like yelling at each other and yeah she says something along the lines of like this wouldn't be the worst thing they've ever seen it's like "Uh, okay (laughs) yeah whatever you say that gives you an idea of what because he doesn't live in south prescott i think it's like another area but i think oscar's the only one that lives like in the bad bad part yeah they mentioned that oscar lives in like the worst part and aaron lives in like right on the line so that he has a much nicer house yeah he lives in like a nice like single family home community compared to everyone in their like cruddy houses yes but that's Um, i love that you know right off the bat vic is this like domineering bossy leader where he's kind of asserting his dominance over bernie and just doing it in his front yard like ugh you immediately were like, I know that you're going to love Vic. That's exactly what I said when we started reading it. I was like, oh, I know who Ashley's going to love. And I you, did. you will learn from through us talking about our preferences on this podcast. But Ashley loves a dominating man who will just take control. Yes, I do. <laughs> tell, tell me what, what I need to do, baby. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I absolutely love that scene and I thought it really set the tone for what the tension between the two of them is going to be like. And there's some other really hot scenes that happen with them in this, I think it's in this book, actually, the first one. Yes. Uh, I think they have sex like a few times in the first book and each time it's like, oh, okay. Um, however, as much as we love this book, there are some writing choices that <laughs> I'm not 100% of a fan of, including the fact that Vic's mouth is continuously described as being a hot slash, which is just, I'm not sure how I feel about that descriptive language. I don't like it, and it just, it comes off as slang for, like, vagina or labia. <laughs> like, I feel like hot slash is something that you would say when you're describing a sex scene, like... Oh, like he dipped his fingers into my hot slash and not like not refer to the sexy guy's mouth. Like it just it, the, it's awkward. It's the physical chills and cringe that just went through me when you said those words. What dipped fingers into my, in my hot slash? <laughs> See, I can write these types of books. I've read too many. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that I can make you laugh. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I had a physical reaction to you saying that. I am, oh, uh, God, I still have like shivers. Uh, okay, moving on <laughs> from Vic's hot slash of a mouth. <laughs> Uh, when they go back to school the following day, Hale immediately blows up the principal's car because the principal was on Bernie's revenge list. And I love that so much. There's something about a man who takes care of explosives, no matter the series. I can point to so many men in these books that are in charge of explosives and every single one. I'm like that. I love that man. And with Hale, I'm just kind of like, oh, like he's okay. But he's that sweet idiot that reverse harem. Like, every reverse harem has one of these. And if you've read The Brutal Boys of Everlake Prep, Blake Bowman is just, like, sweet and dumb. And that, for me, is Hale. And I think that so much of the fact 
of why I don't like him is like Bernie talks about him and describes this like red dyed faux hawk that he has and she says it's not douchey but it in my opinion it's like the epitome of douchey and Ashley I think cannot that, get past the faux hawk yes. she will mention it more times <laughs> I'm so stuck on it and he like he has so many funny things that he says and like so many sweet gestures that he does and I'm just like nope can't do it can't do it because of the faux hawk I can't I cannot appreciate your character because you have a faux hawk yes just doesn't Uh, it doesn't work for me there is there's a few times throughout the series when bernie breaks the fourth wall and it takes me out of the book and i'm not a huge fan like there are times when she's talking directly to the reader like about the story she's telling and it's just like that as a as i'm reading the book it takes me out of the experience so i'm not a huge fan in general of characters breaking the fourth wall yeah, and I, I definitely think that that's not something that's common for these types of books. So I don't know what made her think that that would be a good idea or if it would give us, you know, more insight into who Bernie is and have us develop a stronger relationship with her character or get us to like her more. But, I mean, Bernie is pretty fucking awesome to begin with, except, I mean, we'll get, in, <laughs> we'll get into something that we dislike about Bernie in a little bit, but... Yes. Um, for the most part, she's already very likable, and everything is very well explained, so I don't know why that had to be a part of it. But every book's always going to have something that you're not a huge fan of. Yes. Uh, so, as they are making their way through the school day, and they get back to uh, Vic's house, he reveals... That part of the deal of Bernie becoming a Havoc girl, which I guess they left intentionally vague so he could just spring whatever shit on her that he wanted to at any moment, is the fact that in order for Vic to get this very large inheritance that his grandmother has left for him, he needs to get married. And he has decided that Bernie is the person that he will be marrying. And he doesn't really give her much of a choice here. Yeah, and she's already committed to being the Havoc girl at this point so she sealed the deal but in my opinion it was really shitty how he went about this because she was essentially already trapped and he was like hey by the way you're gonna marry me so we can get this giant inheritance and yeah cool he's gonna split it with them but no like she's 17 years old that is way too young to be getting married Let's let's maybe have a more serious conversation about this before you just make decisions that can impact our entire lives. Yes. Like, I don't care what the sum of money is. I mean, actually, I don't know. Maybe I would. <laughs> I mean, I previously had been married at super young, and I maybe if I would have gotten a large amount of inheritance out of it, it would have been worth it. Maybe, maybe I would have changed my mind if I got some money out of the deal. <laughs> yes. Hindsight's, <laughs> hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, there's also like this weird moment where Hale and Bernie are talking and he's like, you got a nice 10 speed over there. And she like reveals the fact that she managed to build her bike out of parts that she got out of a dumpster and YouTube videos and YouTube videos. And then it's never brought up again. This bike is never mentioned again. (laughs) And I think too, there's another part that happens is the part with the grill on his car like oh so, so she just weird. she just magically knew this random fact about the car grill like no didn't she say she overheard him talking about it and that's why she brought it up 
Oh, maybe she did. So maybe I'm like fucking up and I'm not giving no, but Bernie credit where credit is due. But I thought that part was funny. But then also like you can't pretend to have car knowledge to someone who's obsessed with cars. I say this n- as someone who is married to a mechanic. <laughs> And you can't pretend to have car knowledge because it will come up in conversation again. And you're going to look like a fucking idiot because you're not going to have any idea what you're talking about. Do you know this from experience? Like when No, I never pretended to have car knowledge. (laughs) No, when Andrew and I first started dating, first of all, the first rule when Andrew and I first started dating was that he was not allowed to diagnose my car because I had a really shitty car that was making all sorts of noises at the time. And the first time he rode in my car, I turned to him and I said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's wrong with this car. Don't tell me. <laughs> and he was like, I wish you could see my face, but the entire ride, he was just like sitting, facing straight forward, refusing to make eye contact with me. And I could just see his brain making a list of all the things that were wrong with my car. I'm just not someone who's obsessed with cars. Vic has a Harley and I'm like, that's right up my alley. It's super hot. It's dangerous. It's just it's, more my it's speed. It's dangerous. <laughs> yes. And this, these are things that in the beginning really like turned me on to Vic even more. Okay. Like, question. Would you let your husband get a Harley? So <laughs> we talked about this before we had Emmy. Before Emmy, absolutely yes. But after having a child and knowing how dangerous, not, you know, I don't think that people who drive motorcycles are reckless but i think that people who are driving cars aren't always respectful of people on motorcycles yeah other drivers on the road are the problem yes so in good conscience having a child both like would both of us be able to get on a motorcycle no way because i just feel like the chance of something happening to us is too high to risk it but maybe when she's a little bit older like, when Chris is, like, retired, we'll get one of those, yeah. like, old man motorcycles that has, like, the big, like, <laughs> Oh, like the tricycles? <laughs> no. Or, like, no, the two no. wheels? But, like, the, like, old man, like, cruiser-style ones that have, like, the big, okay. like, <laughs> compartments on the side and, like, the big, like, bug visor. Like, where it's made for, like, pleasure riding and not really, like, for looking like a badass. So. I oh, yeah, I've. I've completely banned Andrew from even thinking about ever getting a motorcycle. <laughs> I said, absolutely not. And that I, will not be occurring. I will say that, like, I've ridden on, like, the crotch rocket style of motorcycle before. And while it mm. doesn't look as badass as, like, a Harley, oh, my God, it was so much fun. Like It is. It's it a lot of fun. so fun. But, yeah, I mean. Dirt bikes are a lot of fun, too. Yes. They're a lot of fun. One of my first ever boyfriends was, like, big into dirt biking and, like four-wheeling and stuff we had some good times good times <laughs> so a lot, a lot of mud yes uh we actually we went four-wheeling on our honeymoon in like an atv and i went i'll have to send you the picture later but i when we finished that drive the amount of dirt covering like i was wearing a helmet the entire time but the amount of dirt covering my entire face my neck my like my whole entire upper body was a completely different color from when we started. Oh, <laughs> so much dirt everywhere. Oh my gosh. Anyway, change of subject. Uh, tangents. There's, there. Yes. Sorry. We'll we'll continue to go on tangents. I have no doubt. Uh, unprotected sex happens constantly in these books, and there's like pregnancy scares, and there's 
so many issues with the fact that they forget condoms. But I cannot even wrap my head around the fact that Bernie has no understanding of how birth control, emergency contraceptives, any of that works. And it's just a testament to how sex education is so awful in this country. But in particular, it really drives me nuts when they start her on birth control. Is that in book two, Ash? Yeah, that's in book two. Yeah. So they start her on birth control in book two. And she, like, starts popping the birth control and is immediately like, oh, I can have unprotected sex now because I took one birth control pill. And it's like, bitch, that's not how that works. You're gonna get pregnant because you're an idiot. Like, you need to wait a month of continuous birth control usage before you can start having unprotected well, this sex. this is what happens and when you take, like, stolen birth control. This is, like, yeah, it just, also like, that. appeared. Where did this come from? <laughs> so, like, it wasn't like a gynecologist explained to her, like, hey, this is your birth control. You need to take it at the same time every single day, and it's going to be a month before it becomes effective. Like, yes. no, she's just popping that shit like it's candy and thinking that her womb is, like, impenetrable. <laughs> She said, I have the armor on that. I'm fine. (laughs) The sperm will just be repelled. This is like the third reverse harem that I've read, though, where male characters just pop up with birth control one day. And it's like, okay, like I get that pretty much all of these take place like with some sort of criminal element. But I'm very interested to know like where they're coming from with this random birth control pack and also are you gonna get more like are you aware that that birth control pack only lasts for a month and then she needs to get more well and i think that another thing that you and i had mentioned about this previously was they live in an impoverished area and i get that she doesn't have insurance but as someone who previously did not have insurance there are programs out there that are made aware to you, especially when you're in high school in a low-income area because they're trying to do what they can to prevent teen pregnancy, that's like, hey, here's a clinic that you can go to and it's free and you don't need your parents' permission and we'll test you for STDs and do a pap smear and get you started on birth control or get you an IUD. And you're telling me that Oscar, who is like the most educated and intelligent out of the whole fucking group, doesn't know about this and isn't like, hey, Bernie, let's get you an IUD. Like, it's just not believable in that sense. And I think that it's, you know, we, I, I guess we're sort of aware of it in this book, but Vic has this big, like, reproductive kink. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just made to kind of build into that. Like, yeah, it, at one point, she, like, she says i'm not pregnant and he goes well i guess that means i'm not fucking you hard enough like first of all no that's not how that works that's, that's not but how any secondly of works. she's 17 she's 17 and is already essentially a parent to her younger sister like why are you trying to make her life more difficult like her already shitty life and you like you don't think that's a topic that she should have some more input on like you're just deciding that you're not going to use condoms because you're cool with her getting pregnant, even though she's made it clear that she doesn't want that outcome. Yeah, like, she's said, like, someday, but she's not ready yet. Like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And also, we're not aware of it yet either, but Oscar's super educated on contraceptives, and he's, like, a virgin. Yeah, we find that out in, uh, either at the end of book two or the beginning of book three. Yeah, so, like, I love that Oscar is the person who's like, hey, maybe she shouldn't have a baby at 17. And everyone else is like, huh, 
maybe he has a point. <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm still going to just keep coming inside of her. Like, Seriously. It, it's just, it's too much. Poor Bernie. For real, though. Um, so after, after all this shit goes down where um, she finds out that she has to marry Vic, she, at, at a certain point, Oscar is saying some rude-ass shit to her. Which is and Cal- constantly happening with Oscar. Yes. Even though Oscar is completely in love with her, you find that out later, he thinks that none of them are good enough for her. And so he's constantly pushing her away because he truly believes that he is going to mess up her life. So his way of pushing her away is to be as rude to her as possible. So at a certain point, he's saying some rude ass shit. I believe it was about her boobs. And Callum, who I love with all of my heart, is like, yeah, beat him up. He insulted you. So she like gets into a physical fight with Oscar and she comes away believing that she like won this. Like she's feeling great about herself. But then we find out later in the later books that Oscar is not someone who will lose a fight, has a lot of different weapons up his sleeve, literally, but also figuratively. And he's like, no, I I let you win that. Yeah. And just how stupid is she that she thinks that she could seriously beat oscar in a fight how many times does she mention the fact that she saw him curb stomp someone a few years ago yes it's several (laughs) times and that's in my notes about oscar it's like oh i saw him like curb stomp someone even though he has this aristocratic face so after this fight bernie says some cringy shit and cringy dialogue is something that happens a few times in this book where bernie is trying to come away sounding really badass but instead of sounding really badass she makes me cringe so hard that i want to die a little bit (laughs) so she said you thought you caged a kitty cat you got a fucking cougar watch my claws when you take me to bed and my reaction that i added to my notes was just ugh, ew (laughs) what like that's not (laughs) something that a real badass would ever say like or no. any or any girl who you know has this like sex appeal and is a fighter and is scrappy like that's just not this is the type of dialogue that you read in a book but nobody would ever say in real life at least not not anybody who's going to be fucking five guys <laughs> like no and it really bothers me because it's it's a lot of contrived platitudes that happened throughout the book but bernie's dialogue in particular i'm just like girl you don't sound badass you just sound really stupid but then there's another thing that they say constantly which is that havoc is family blood in blood out what the fuck does that mean because i have no idea am i just being stupid or is that nonsense i guess it means that like blood in is you know bloodshed together in both the literal and the figurative way as in they all do the you know palm slicing like middle school ritual which scares Mm -hmm. me because hiv is a thing yeah like bloodborne pathogens (laughs) yes bloodborne pathogens yes um and then blood out i guess would only mean death so but it's just it's kind of corny and cheesy but if you like, ask me but i get that meaning I, I was able to decipher that but the context in which they use it sometimes is very strange so like 
in is it book one i can't remember if it no it's book two when they're talking to britney who we'll talk about in a second um and britney's complaining about the fact that hale is like making out with um bernie they're like you can't have any control over what bernie and hale do together because they're in havoc blood in blood out we're family like first of all it's weird that you keep referring to yourself as a family when you know that you're having sex with a bunch of people but also what does blood in blood out have to do with her fucking whoever she wants within havoc like in that context that doesn't make sense to me yeah i mean i guess not but i don't know every gang needs like a motto or like okay I'll give them that. I wish that I could remember some from like Gangland, but nothing's coming to the coming to my head right now. Um, so in general, I love Callum so fucking much. And we do learn about his uh trauma in book one, and we'll learn so Bernie has a lot of trauma, but then so do all of the guys. Like none of no person in this series escaped life without some major trauma so Callum was a dancer um and his grandmother had him trained as in ballet from a very young age and he got physically attacked and beaten to the point of almost death and the way that his injuries healed resulted in him not being able to dance professionally anymore and it was like a loss of a dream so we we learn about that trauma. There's also some family trauma that we learn about much later. But this trauma is really important to Callum's life because he continues to teach dance and he's still very actively involved in dance, but he's in constant pain every day. And I think that just says so much about his character that he still and the classes that he teaches are for impoverished youth and adults so that they can learn to dance free of charge. So he's volunteering his time. And he's volunteering his time and putting himself in pain for the good of others. So it's like he has such a good heart. I love him so much. He does. And I think it's also important to talk about when, you know, this traumatic event happened to him. Um, Bernie often talks about, you know, the way that Callum's voice is kind of raspy or like husky. Um, and that's because I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Is it Garrett? Garrot? Garrett? Oh, Garrot. It's Garrot. Yeah. Um, so is that mentioned in this first book? Like, I mean, I'm guessing No, she asks, him, she asks him to confirm the rumor that he was punched by a rival gang member. And he's like, hell no, I would never let a rival gang member anywhere near my throat. But he doesn't explain the fact that he was garroted and, like, almost had his neck cut through, which is why his vocal cords have been permanently damaged. Yeah, and it gives him that sexy voice, which I always think about that. Like, I wish that she had a recording that we could listen to of what his voice is like. I wonder yeah. if it's what I imagine. I feel like a lot of times authors will, like, describe voices as, like, raspy. And it's like, I feel like people have very different definitions of what raspy sounds like. What we'll have to do is see if the audiobook, so if you've listened to the audiobook of Havoc, if there is one, if the voice actor you know, what they sound like when they're doing his voice. Please let us know. Uh, I also have in my notes, Oscar pulling out a revolver is so hot. What is wrong with me? So there's a conflict with 
Vic's dad, who is kind of like just general low life behavior, like he's getting into debt with some people and they're he's like coming to collect. Absolutely awful. And these guys pull up and they're like ready to fight, and Oscar just pulls out a revolver and shoots some guy in the thigh. And, and my immediate thought was like, God damn, that's hot. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that that in combination with how he's described, you know, always dressed so nicely and the fact that he's fully covered in tattoos. I mean, oh, he could pull a gun on me and I'd be like, please, <laughs> please, please, Oscar. Um, I'm trying to make sure that we hit all of my notes. Oh, so we learned that Hale's ex, Brittany, who goes to another school, uh, is pregnant and she's convinced that it's Hale's and Hale's like, absolutely not. It's not my kid. He's like, we I also- never came inside of her. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, condoms every time. I wrapped it before I tapped it. Uh, we also learned that Callie, who is the best friend that originally tried to destroy Bernie's life by calling havoc, is also pregnant. We've got a bunch of teen pregnancies happening here. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, Hale ha- is dealing with the fallout because Brittany's still trying to convince him that it's his kid. And he's like, no, it's not. Leave me the fuck alone. Um, and because he's dealing with that, he starts to pull away from... Bernie, um, have they had sex at this point? I feel like they have. I honestly don't know. I think that they have. Yeah, it, she she has sex in the first book with Vic first and then Hale. And she has sex with Hale initially to kind of like punish Vic because he is being a dickhole about, um, in general, her dealing with the fact that they we're like destroying her life sophomore year and she's dealing with her feelings and the fact that she feels guilty about having feelings for these guys after they did so much terrible shit to her. And like, she's trying to process that and Vic just kind of pulls away and is like, you can't even stand my touch. And she's like, no, that's not it. But he's like, why, why don't you go fuck Hale? He's been dying to. And she's like, okay. But then he gets all pissy about it when she does it. And she's like, well, you told me to do it. And he's like, yeah, I did. And it's like, okay. Like, and this you is, don't get to be a dick about it then. This just is something that happens several times throughout the series. Is that Vic is so jealous of the other guys, but at the same time loves them like brothers and wants to share Bernie with them. But mm-hmm. I think it just, you know, takes him a little time to get comfortable with that. Yeah, he's really struggling with his jealousy throughout both book one and two, where he loves Bernie so much and has loved Bernie since elementary school. But his love is very selfish, and that's something that he explains to her, is that when he first decided that her price was going to be to become the Havoc girl, everyone else was like, no, like we don't want this for her. We don't want this life for her. We should just give her, like, a bullshit cost and take revenge on all those people for her because like she deserves that from us after all the shit that we put her through sophomore year and Vic was the only one that was like no I want her and it was his selfish behavior that led to her becoming the Havoc girl so he's dealing with the fact that he loves Havoc he loves the other guys but he loves Bernie just as much and he's trying to uh find a way to have both of those things and he can't so 
uh, eventually he does come to the realization that he's going to have to share Bernie in order to keep Havoc together. Okay. So something that is said by several different characters is that different people have distinct smells in this universe. So like Callum describes Bernie as smelling like peaches and leather. Bernie describes like the different guys as smelling like different things. I think she says that Vic smells like cinnamon at one point. No, Oscar smells like cinnamon. Oscar smells like cinnamon. And Aaron uh, smells like sandalwood and rose, which is one of my absolute favorite scents. And this book totally reminded me of that. And I think that that's also part of the reason why I am so about Aaron. But I ordered myself um, some sandalwood and rose perfume after the fact. So. so I am of the opinion that unless you're like using consistently the same like really fragrant shampoo or perfume that you don't have a distinctive scent like people's bodies do not have like uh she just smells like peaches all day long regardless of how much bo she's giving off like no that's not a thing i don't know i think ashley disagrees with me (laughs) yes i strongly disagree if you have an opinion on this leave us a review and let us know (laughs) message us (laughs) I wanna, I wanna, I wanna have a vote on this. Send me a DM on our Instagram. Oh, we can do a poll through Instagram story. Oh yeah, we're gonna do that. So after this episode is published, look for a poll on our Instagram. Uh, so like, and they say that Bernie's distinctive smells peaches and leather, which Ashley and I both agree is not a good combination. Yeah, like, I I don't know how I feel about a manly smell like leather being mixed with a sweet smell like peaches. It doesn't sound great. And when I think of Bernie, that's just not what I would think would be her signature scent. So, this book ends with the Halloween party, which is where a lot of shit goes down. So, basically, Havoc had planned for the Halloween party to be, like their revenge against this rival gang that's starting to come up and try and like start beef with them um and they were gonna fight all of them at the party and they had this whole plan and that plan involved them using kevlar underneath their costumes except for bernie they were like all of us are gonna wear kevlar and be protected except bernie can get shot and that's fine (laughs) Well, no, it was just because they didn't, didn't they not, like, they didn't want her to, like, be suspicious or, like, be freaked out. But, I mean, either, I mean, either way, it's still, like, messed up, but. I thought it was because, you're... like, her with the costume that she was wearing, it would have been too obvious that she had Kevlar on. But it's like, you guys are so in love with her and you're going to send her into this dangerous as fuck Halloween party and not, like, have Kevlar on yourselves and she's just going to be unprotected. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess so they everything... have unprotected sex, so it's like yeah, well, all the same. True. Just <laughs> everything goes to shit at this Halloween party. Their plan does not go as they expected it to, and Aaron and Bernie end up in this back room, like fighting for their lives against like eight other people who are like beating Aaron with baseball bats, and finally the other guys come in and are able to like help start get getting rid of some of these guys but in the scuffle callum accidentally murders someone and that someone is danny uh who they've had beef with throughout the entire first book 
but he murders Danny. And so they now have to scramble to cover up this murder scene. And they rush uh, they rush to go cover up the murder scene. And Bernie and Aaron go back to the house because Aaron is now also dealing with a bullet wound. And so she's rushing him back to the house because she wants to get him medical assistance of some kind because he literally has a bullet in his arm. And surprise, surprise, who is at the house? Her pedophile stepdad, who she hates so much, who is also a police officer. And he's the absolute worst. Bernie frequently calls him the thing, and I think that that's so much better than referring to him by Neil, his actual name, because he is just awful. Yeah, so the thing, which I think is exactly how we should refer to him from now on. The thing is at the house and is threatening her um, along with the principal and um, Callie, the principal whose car they blew up. Um, and Callie, and all- the best friend who tortured, you know, had havoc torture Bernie. Yes. So all three of these people who have made Bernie's life hell are all in Aaron's house while Aaron has a bullet wound in his arm. And they're, and the rest of the Havoc boys are trying to bury a body. And they're all threatening all of them, basically saying, like, we know that you guys have been up to some bullshit trying to enact revenge on people. And if you keep this shit up, I'm going to put you away. And they're lucky in that the rest of the Havoc guys come back and are like, get the fuck out of my house. Like, why the fuck are you here? But it definitely... It ends with a cliffhanger of what the fuck are we going to do, basically. Yeah, because, I mean, Aaron was obviously injured under, you know, suspicious circumstances. So it's not like they can just, you know, show up with him at a hospital because it's going to kind of raise some questions. Yeah, so that's how book one ends on that kind of cliffhanger. And then we get into book two, which is Chaos at Prescott High. And this is Hale's cover. So I'll let Ashley share her feelings on Hale's cover. And in my opinion, this one is the worst cover of all the covers because we don't get to see Hale's face, but we get to see his back and his awful red faux hawk is very (laughs) evident. And Bernie, of course, looks fantastic, but it's just, it's not doing it for me. Like, I guess I'm not like a back person when it comes to muscular guys. But, I, like, if I'm trying to visualize a character, I want to be able to see their face. Yeah. I do like a good muscular back, though. Oh. The, uh, more, the more you know. <laughs> so, this book actually starts with our first alternate point of view. Hooray! Uh, Ashley and I both love reverse harems that give us point of views of other characters. So we get a flashback to two months earlier, and it's Victor's point of view. And it's actually the flashback to Victor deciding on the price for Bernie's Havoc call. So this is where him and the boys sat down, and he was like, I want her to be a Havoc girl. And the rest of them were like, no, that's a stupid idea. And then he was basically like, fuck you all. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. So it was nice getting his perspective of that situation because we never got to see that since – all we had for the first book was Bernie's POV. But I enjoyed reading Victor's point of view and seeing just how devoted to Bernie he really is. Yes, he is so... And I, I mean, I wouldn't... His love for her borders on a sick obsession. Oh, most definitely. 
It's not like the type of love that Aaron has for her or the type of love. Well, I mean, maybe some of the other characters have a sick obsession, but I feel like Vic is the one who's really, truly obsessed. Uh, I would argue that uh, Callum and maybe also Oscar They're would also obsessed, be right up there yeah. with Vic. But I feel like, you know, Vic with the whole, like, I'm going to marry her type of thing, he's definitely the one who's truly obsessed. Yes, and then with all of his jealousy issues on top of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we get that flashback to start us off in book two, and then we jump right back into Halloween night and back in Bernie's point of view, where Aaron is still, still dealing with a bullet wound in his arm. And they're like, well, we can't take him to the hospital because there's a bunch of mandatory reporters there. And they're going to be like, hey, how'd you get a bullet wound in your arm? So they take him to the school nurse's house. And they have be- they have beef with the school nurse because she's been sleeping with the principal. And what do they uh, call her? They call her Yes or something. Nurse Yes Scott because yes. that's what she yells when they're fucking in the nurse's office. <laughs> It's like, what kind of school are you attending where you can hear that kind of shit? A really fucked up one. So like, they so they take him to the uh, nurse's house, and she's like, well, I'm not a surgeon. And it's like, obviously, you're a school nurse. But then she's like, well, I need... some first aid training that you can help with what the situation is here. She's like, well, I need, like, blood and saline and stuff and, like, IV bags. And they're like, just give us a list and we'll go and get it. And they're like stealing from a hospital and this is so <laughs> unbelievable because yes. you can't just do a blood transfusion in someone's fucking living room like as, i mean i may work in veterinary medicine but like oh like they just happen to know what aaron's blood type is and like it's just so ridiculous and unbelievable like you need to calculate, like, what kind of volume you're replacing. Like, I'm pretty sure you have to have a special filter and set up for this kind of shit. No, they did it in the school nurse's house, Ashley. You <laughs> oh. don't have to deal with it. Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> and it's also unbelievable it. that they were able to steal this shit from the hospital. But, okay. So, suspending our belief for a minute. Keeping it moving. They uh, are able to get... Aaron's bullet wound patched up and in the fallout of dealing with her stepfather her stepfather reveals the fact that they have a video and that video is the evidence that her stepfather was uh, raping her sister who at this point in time she believes killed herself due to that assault so Bernie obviously is very upset about the fact that these guys have been keeping this from her and that they've had this video for several years at this point. Uh, and that they haven't done anything with it. Because she's like, this is clear evidence of him raping an underage girl. And why haven't you brought this anywhere, basically? So, so oh, go ahead, Ash. There's some pretty important things that we need to mention about the thing. His dad is a judge and his brother is a prosecutor. So... Even if the guys were to go and try to make something happen with this, I don't think that anything would have come of it. It, it kind of had to be one of those things that had to be at the perfect time. Yeah. So I, I understand Bernie's frustration about everything, but I mean, I, I don't think that they could have made anything happen before where we are right now. I agree. I I think that she's not looking at this logically because I think if 
they would have if she wasn't in such an emotional space she would have realized that too because she knows that the thing gets away with everything simply because of his connections so I think she absolutely would have agreed with that reasoning if she was in a space to process this logically. But when you're just confronted with the fact that this video exists in the first place and like it's bringing up all of this trauma from finding your sister dead in her bed and then reliving the fact that you she has a lot, so much guilt involving Penelope and Penelope's death because she feels like she should have done more to stop the abuse that was occurring. Obviously, that's not something she should take on to herself, but she has. So she's dealing with all of these things kind of colliding all at once on top of the fact that it was a traumatic night in itself with so many violent attacks occurring. Yeah, I mean, she saw Callum kill someone and saw her first love get seriously injured. I mean, that's a lot for one person to go through. And then, you know, sees a video of her stepdad sexually abusing her now deceased sister. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, so she hasn't, at this point, she hasn't seen the video. But uh, the next day, her and Oscar are sent out on an errand. And Oscar has his iPad with him, which he carries everywhere. And she just looks at him and goes, like, do you have the video? And Oscar does not process things like a normal human and can't seem to wrap his head around the fact of why this would be an issue. So he just pulls up the video on his iPad and hands it to her and then is surprised when she destroys his iPad and runs out of the car. So she has a very visceral reaction to viewing the video, obviously. And she runs to Callum's dance class and like kicks everyone out of the dance class with Callum, which those poor people were probably like, okay. Um, and her and Callum have like this very like emotionally and sexually tense moment where they're kind of like working through some of their shit. And Vic is so pissed off that she just ran away. He's like, we're in the middle of a gang war. And also your stepfather is on our ass. You can't just run around town doing whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, but she's dealing with the emotional fallout of all of this stuff. And then in addition to this, Vic and Aaron are like, we're both going to tell you that we're in love with you. <laughs> so she's like, to her, I don't, I don't think we've gone into the background of her and Aaron. So Aaron and Bernie dated sophomore year, freshman, all the freshman year into sophomore year. And in order for Aaron to join Havoc, the deal was that he had to give her up. It was, like, his sacrifice for joining Havoc. And we and know that Vic is the one that de determined that this was going to be the price. Yes, but all the other guys also agreed. Um, so Aaron had to give her up. And then in addition to that, they decided that they were going to take on Callie's job of torturing her because they wanted her to have a better life. They thought, we if we make her miserable enough here, she will move to like go be with her grandmother in Nantucket and she'll go and have a happy, normal life away from us and not have to deal with all this bullshit. And then her sister died and they stopped torturing her, obviously. But then they all kind of started to come to the realization that she wasn't ever going to have a normal life because of all of the trauma that had occurred with up to this point. And so did, her, did we talk at all about Penelope and her death? Uh, I mean, we've brushed over it, but we can talk about it more in depth. You can go ahead. So Penelope's death is a very important part of this story. Um, 
because it's kind of what spurred a lot of the revenge um, list and the reason why Bernie is so protective of Heather. So Penelope was Bernie's older sister. They had the same dad. Um, and Penelope was the main victim of the sexual abuse from the thing. So she dies under suspicious circumstances. Um, so Bernie's just trying to get to the bottom of, you know, what really happened. At this point, Bernie does believe that Penelope that killed committed, herself. Yeah, that she committed suicide. But. but she has some suspicions that the thing could have also been involved just because of some of the shit that he said. Um, so all of the decision making that Bernie has made has been in pursuit of getting justice for Penelope, but then also making sure that her little sister, Heather, is protected and away from the thing like whenever possible. Uh, so she's dealing with the fact that uh, Vic and Aaron have feelings for her and that she also has feelings for them because she has a lot of guilt surrounding the fact that she shouldn't have feelings for people who torture her two years ago, um, which I get. It's not They're not the nicest of guys. But she's just kind of trying to come to terms with the fact that she can move past it and have something that could be real with them with both Vic and Aaron. Um, and now also Callum is involved because she just had like a moment with Callum in the dance studio. Uh, and she's also slept with Hale <laughs> already <laughs> by now too. Uh, but Hale's got that whole thing going on with his baby mama at this point. So he's just kind of on the sidelines. Uh, well, I should say his not baby mama. But they, um, so Vic and Aaron, in the midst of telling her that they love her, they admit that they were, when they were torturing her sophomore year, they were just trying to set her free, um, and that they wanted her to have that nice, normal life. <laughs> just had to write Oscar at one point when he's, like, realizing that she's slept with Aaron or no, she gave Aaron a hand job. She hasn't <laughs> slept with him yet. Uh, but he, they walk in in the middle of her like finishing Aaron, giving him a hand job, and his reaction is while he's for recovering. The love, yeah, for the love of the devil's cock, which is just my favorite quote from Oscar. He has so many good lines in the, the in this series. It's amazing. He's just so snarky, and I love it. So there is no rest for the wicked. And so even though Bernie is dealing with uh, confessions of love, emotional fallout from seeing a very traumatizing video and everything that happened Halloween night, the charter crew, which is the rival gang that attacked them on Halloween night, decides to go after Hale's mom in her house. Uh, and w through this interaction, we find out a lot about Hale and what his home life is like, uh, that his mom is schizophrenic and that his dad is an abusive alcoholic and drug user He's um, in and out of jail. In and out of jail. He killed a pregnant woman while high on meth and pregnant like consistently. Yes. A pregnant sex worker. Um, and consistently abuses his mother. And so Hale is very unhappy in general at home, but especially when his father is anywhere near there. And he's very frustrated with his mom and the fact that she refuses to leave his father. Obviously, we know that that's very common in abusive relationships and that also the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when uh, the victim chooses to leave the abuser. But Hale is trying to protect his mother while also 
be active in Havoc and deal with everything going on in his personal life. We also learned that Hale speaks French because his mother is Cajun, and I think that's so cute. Yeah, I think that that's adorable. Like, her little, like, French Cajun accent and, like, how she, like, I don't know, I don't want to say, like, babies Hale, but she does kind of baby him. <laughs> she does. She absolutely does. Which, uh, <laughs> again, kind of aids to the, like, Hale Harbin little cutie stupid boy with his little adorable mom cleaning his yeah. room. Uh, so when they get back to school, uh, after their very interesting weekend, uh, first things first, Bernie beats the absolute shit out of Callie. <laughs> Uh, slams her face into a locker slams it on the floor a few times to the point where Callan has to pull her off of Callie and is like maybe don't murder her in the middle of the school hallway because she is a pregnant girl yes Callie screams out I'm pregnant and Bernie responds your face isn't pregnant and then punches her in the face Bernie is such a badass bitch (laughs) I can get over the cringy shit when she says stuff like that so this basically means they're officially at war with the charter crew. So Havoc and the charter crew are at odds. They're constantly fighting in school and out of school. Callie has aligned herself both with the charter crew and with the thing at the same time. Um, and Havoc is dealing with the fact that the charter crew is selling drugs to get money and then using that money to recruit more people onto their side. Uh, while that's also happening, uh, Hale's baby mama pops up, not baby mama, and decides to call Havoc. And in my notes, I said, what a dumb bitch. And she asks Hale to act like the baby's dad. Yeah, like she's that's not her like, favor. She's not, like, sure. Yeah, she doesn't know if he's the father. She tries to act like she's 100% sure. But she's like... My favorite is I want him to act like the baby's father. I want him to be my boyfriend again. And Hale's like, fuck no. (laughs) And Oscar's like, wait, wait, maybe we should take advantage of this. So Oscar decides. The the smart, deep thinker. Always manipulating, always thinking. Uh, Brittany's dad is the head of the violent gang task force. So he decides that the price for Brittany to call havoc on Hale is that she has to be an informant for them on the movements of the violent gang task force and what they're planning to do. In addition to that, um, she has to get a paternity test, and if Hale's not the father, then she has to leave him the fuck alone. But she still has to deliver on the information. And she's like, yes, yes, I accept the price. And you just know that this bitch does not understand what she's agreeing to. Yeah, I mean, she's not from their school, and I think that while she has some understanding of what calling Havoc means, she doesn't totally get it. No, and she doesn't understand the ramifications of not following through. Like, it's one thing to call Havoc, it's another thing to not follow through on the price that they've set for you. Yeah, and I think that there's there's only been one incident of that happening, and didn't they, like, mm-hmm. run the person out of town? Yeah, they, like beat him within an inch of his life and exiled him from town yeah so that's a pretty big deal so uh 
I said, I want to know what formula Oscar is using to calculate the cost of each Havoc request. Because he's like, according to my formula. <laughs> At one point, he's like, he, she's asking for Hale for the rest of his life. So that would really be a life for a life. But I don't think she's willing to give that up. And it's like, okay, Oscar. <laughs> Let's think about let's think about human lives as being worth something, please. Uh, throughout all of this, Aaron goes on a trip with Bernie and the three young girls, Aaron's little sister cousin and Heather, Bernie's little sister, who they all take care of. Uh, they go out to like get makeup and go to like these stores and kind of hang out and it's like bonding time. And then on their way out of the store, Aaron's car gets blown up by a Molotov cocktail, courtesy of the charter crew. Which, that part terrified me as a parent of a child. Like, the kids just being so close to being in danger. Like, that's just, it was just a lot for me. And I'm not someone who's easily triggered, but I guess that's what does it. Like, not, you know, the fact that there's, like, you know, sexual abuse of children going on in this book, but, like, the fact that a child's life could be lost in, like, a stupid gang war. That's what gets me. <laughs> Good to know. Glad, glad to know that there are some things that can get to you. Because I'll be <laughs> over here crying over everything, and Ashley's like, I don't understand what's wrong with you. <laughs> Why are you feeling like this right now? <laughs> uh, so... After Aaron's car gets blown up, they decide that they want to make some more progress on Bernie's revenge list. Uh, and one of the people on her list is her previous foster brother. Uh, Bernie and her older sister Penelope spent a short stint in foster care. And during that stint in foster care, she was almost sexually abused by her foster brother. And she's fairly certain that Penelope was sexually abused by their foster brother. So her and Oscar take a field trip to his house and decide to fuck everything up in his house and leave some rather intimidating messages about what is to come. Yeah, and didn't they have like a they had like a whole like sex dungeon? Yes, type there of was deal. a sex and it's dungeon. Just, uh, it's disgusting. It, it ugh. just gross. I, this is the part that I like. Ugh. Another part that obviously got to me. Just disgusting. Yeah, so, um, oh, also Oscar pees on his bed, which, <laughs> hilarious. I, I, I can appreciate that level of petty. Uh, so I love doing, like, a little bit of an update. So at this point in the story, she has had sex with Hale and Vic. She had sex with Hale in his car and Vic a few different places and has fooled around with Aaron and Callum. Her and Oscar have not done anything yet. And also Oscar is continually pushing her away. Um, then she, after her and Oscar go fuck everything up, her and Aaron, uh, go on a trip to go get food and they go and have sex in the bathroom of a restaurant. <laughs> and after that sex scene, we get a flashback from Aaron's point of view to the night that they kidnapped Bernie to start enacting havoc for Callie. And we see how much Aaron was struggling with this decision and he's, like, on his hands and knees begging Vic to stop because he's about to lose it. Um, and Vic is just reminding him that they have to do this in order to help her have a normal life. And, again, th this is the best that you could think of, like, 
to do right by Bernie. Like, you're just going to torture her. in a closet yes. for a week? Yeah, with a bucket. <laughs> like, so you're going to strip up. her out of her, what was it, homecoming dress? They stole her homecoming dress. Yes, and ha- she was, like, walking up and down the road naked. But that's okay, because they were watching her, like, to make sure that she was safe. Honestly, like, I'm really no. mad on Bernie's behalf. <laughs> yes. And then she's, like, fucking them. She, it's we were talking earlier about how. Trauma uh, bonds. Trauma bonds really bring people together. But also, sometimes I think she was a little bit too forgiving. Like, yes, it's in the past. Yes, they were trying to protect you. But also, these guys are all idiots. <laughs> I know, but they're so hot. <laughs> Not, not that that means anything, like, in the scheme of forgiveness, but, oh. So, at this point, she has now had sex with Vic, Hale, and Aaron, and has messed around with Callum. And Vic is really struggling with his possessive issues. So, like, like we were talking about, Vic is very selfish when it comes to love. So, the fact that he is aware, like, she's not keeping any of this secret from him. So, he's aware of the fact that she has had sex with Hale and Aaron, and he is just not dealing well. And at this point, he's like, when we get married, you're not having sex with anyone else after that. And she's just kind of like, yeah, okay, bud. Yeah, and he should know that that's not realistic, like, with the situation that they're in. I mean, I don't know. He's definitely one that, like, gets in that mood and then kind of goes on a tangent. And then after the fact, is like, oh, okay. Like, I was being totally irrational. And then just yeah, wants exactly. to do whatever, like, is best for Bernie and her happiness. Which, I mean, yeah, you know. he's He's definitely want to make a rash decision and then come back around and be like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Um, we also learn about their code word mare's nest, which is their code word for whenever anything has gone to, like, complete shit. Like, that's, like, emergency code word. Everyone needs to respond. Things are about to go really wrong. And, and that definitely comes back up later. <laughs> yeah, that's a very important part of this series. So remember, Mare's Nest means that some shit is going down. Uh, and then Constantine, who is a detective that will come up throughout the series, comes to school to question everyone about Danny's disappearance, including Bernie and the rest of the Havoc guys. And big deal, Bernie gets her Havoc tattoo on her hands. And the um, tradition is that the last person to join tattoos the next person. So since Aaron was the last person to join Havoc, he gives Bernie her Havoc tattoo. And I really think that the tattoo is such a cute, intimate moment between the two of them. I I realize that, you know, all the other guys were there, but there's just something so symbolic about the fact that, you know, Aaron gave her up in order to have the protection of Havoc. And then here he is, like, as she's joined, giving her the tattoo. So I'm glad that they're finally reunited and they're a part of this together. Yeah, it was. It had some nice symbolism behind it. Yeah. We also find out uh, at the same time that Hale is building her a car, which is so cute. It is cute. And again, Hale Harbin. Cute and stupid. Uh, Vic also apologizes, which is rare for Vic. 
for not showing her the video and for not giving her Kevlar at the party. Sorry, sorry, I put you in a very dangerous situation without any protection. Like, oh, uh, yes, I want to put a baby inside of you, but I'm extremely jealous and not going to protect your life with every chance that I have. Uh, so after all of that, they're like, let's go on a field trip and we're going to go dig up a dead body. And they go and dig up Danny's body from where they buried him. And they buried him on um, the grounds that belong to Vic's mother's boyfriend. Um, and they said that they can bury him there because Vic's mother's boyfriend already has bodies buried in this property. So he would not let anyone search it anyway. So they want to go dig up Danny's body and drop it at Mitch's house in the back of Mitch's car in order to send a message about fucking with Havoc. So they're like, hey, dumbass charter crew. This is not the war that you want to start. Look, we already murdered one of your boys. Here, we'll show you. We're going to drop him in front of your house. And I felt like this part was so gross. The idea of them digging up a dead body. Like, I just think about how awful the smell would be. Like, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't. Yeah, I would not be able to do it either. Um, But right after that, Hale, they have very busy weekends on Havoc, in case you Yeah, there's worried. a lot of, I feel like this book two, there's a lot of shit going on. There is. It's like constant, Here, here's the next thing we have to do in order to enact our revenge on the opposite gang or enact Bernie's revenge on her list. Uh, but Hale has to go and tell Brittany's dad that she's pregnant, because that was part of the deal when she called Havoc. But Bernie is like... No, I don't want you to go. I'm going to fuck you on top of your car so that you'll remember me when you're going to tell this other girl, that, other girl's dad, that she's pregnant. Which so, just so happens to be what is depicted on the cover of this book. Yeah, we got the cover scene. Uh, so he goes and does that. And then the next morning when they wake up, they have a dead body on their front lawn in the form of Ivy Hightower, who was another person who was a member of the rival gang, but who was also... Uh, wrapped up with the principal in his weird, like, pornographic video sex ring thing. So she was murdered. At this point, we're not sure by who, uh, and left in their front yard, because who doesn't want to clean up a body first thing in the morning? Yeah, and didn't Ivy do Bernie's makeup for something? Like, this was before we knew about her involvement with the charter crew. Yes, she did uh, Bernie's makeup for that brunch that she had to go to with Vic's mom. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, then Bernie gets her period. Congratulations for not being pregnant after having so much unsafe sex. And this is a big one. Had finally has sex with Oscar. Uh, but he's super weird about it after. <laughs> And they make a giant mess on Aaron's living room couch. They Literally, did not put the towel down. Blood everywhere. And then afterwards, he like flips out about the fact that he just had sex with her because, like we've said, he doesn't think he's good enough for her. And he doesn't think any of the guys are good enough for her. And so he's mad at her for allowing him to have sex with her. 
And it's just like, it's such a weird, like the intimacy that's described in this scene while this is happening, while they're having sex while she's on her period. It's like, I don't know, it's a really deep scene. And then you have Oscar who just like gets up and leaves when it's done. So odd. Uh, so Bernie's very mad at Oscar after that. The fact that he just left her there with a mess to clean up and then like doesn't want to deal with the fact that they had sex. Yeah, and um from now on Oscar will be referred to as period fucker several times throughout the series. <laughs> yeah, the other guys do not let him forget that this happened. Uh, and Bernie doesn't either. Also correct. Um But Bernie goes to talk to Sarah, who is her stepfather's partner, because they believe that Sarah is a person who might be able to help them deal with her stepfather down the line. So she's kind of setting her up as a potential future contact uh, with kind of like a sob story about like, oh, I didn't mean to get pulled into gang life when in reality she's just manipulating her. Um, And then they're like, let's go check out our wedding venue which is Vic's grandmother's house. And surprise, Bernie, we brought your fir- uh, your former foster father and foster brother so that we can murder them for you here. Like, so weird. <laughs> Such a nice but surprise. But I guess it's like a fitting gift for Bernie. <laughs> yeah, so they kill Todd and Eric in Vic's grandmother's house after, like, torturing them for a while. And... Then we get an Oscar POV flashback and a Callum POV flashback. So Oscar's POV flashback is him and Hale were keeping tabs on Bernie as they're torturing her sophomore year. And it's just Oscar dealing with the fact that he is just so in love with her. And he, the last thing on the planet he wanted was for her to join Havoc because he does not want this life for her at all. But Oscar really has to come to terms with the fact that he can't control her like that. Um, and then Callum's point of view, this is my favorite, is only from a year ago. So it's that in-between time when they weren't actively torturing her, but before she called Havoc. Um, he is watching out for her pretty much every night. Callum makes a stop and just sits outside of her bedroom window and makes sure that her stepfather is leaving her alone and that everything is okay because he knows that like her home life is so fucked up so he's been looking out for her this entire time even when she didn't know it and it's just so sweet and a little bit creepy but that's just Callum yeah and it's just it lends to that whole like dark mysterious gargoyle vibe (laughs) that Callum gives off and that's one of my favorite things about him and she, like, he's she just describes so cute and him. funny too. Oh God, I love him like, so much. If you read this series, and he's probably not in your top three, like I kind of question who you are as a person because, like, yes, he he pretty much has to be your number one or your number two. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but he's constantly described as perching everywhere, <laughs> and I described it to Ashley like he's just gargoyling around constantly. Like, he doesn't sit like a normal person. He, like, perches with his knees up by his shoulders. And it's like, why? Why is this a choice you've made for this character? And he's always eating snacks, too. So he's, like, gargoyling on top of a table while eating corn nuts. (laughs) Like, and also, of all the snacks to go with, I feel like corn nuts are, like, the, like, vending machine 
worst choice that there is. But he also likes candy and sodas a lot too, which I feel like for as fit as these guys are described, their eating habits are awful. <laughs> yeah, like, all they eat is like pizza and burgers and milkshakes. Yes, and, and soda. Like, how <laughs> how do you have a six pack and eat like that? Like, because you know that they don't have time to be working out. Like, have you heard of like other than Cal? Cal Callum's the only one who actively exercises. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't understand. Can someone just let me in on their secret to having a perfect body and eating whatever you want? Because I'm here for it. Magic. <laughs> the magic of prose. <laughs> <laughs> it's just easier to not worry about their exercise routine and just tell you they have a six-pack. Yeah. Uh, so, after these wonderful POV flashbacks, uh, we they go back to school where they see that Principal Vaughn has decided to return. And they decide that because he didn't listen to their first warning of stay the fuck away from here, they're going to cut off his fingers with some bolt cutters to really drive the point home that he belongs to Havoc now and that he needs to get his shit together. (laughs) And then they just drop him off in the nurse's office. (laughs) Nurse, yes, Scott. Nurse, yes, Scott. I know that you're not a surgeon. We've established this. Here's a guy who's had some fingers amputated recently. That you frequently have sex with, so you should probably help him. <laughs> and then, after that, they go and find out that the baby is in Hales. Yay! Yay! That was a very exciting part for me. Even though I knew that the baby wasn't Hales, I just needed that confirmation. Yes, it was very nice. Um, and then we get a Hale flashback point of view right after that, where Hale is attempting to kill the thing for Bernie. And it's like a year ago, and he's at a point where he's so upset with his home life, and he's so upset that they haven't done more to help Bernie after they tortured her. And he's basically at a point of, like, why can't I murder this guy? He's kind (laughs) of at his wit's end just with everything. It's all compounded. So he's a, like, he has a gun. He's waiting outside of a motel for the the thing. And then he gets stopped by the other members of Havoc because they're like, dude, if you do this, you're going to jail. Like, you're going to get caught. You need to be smarter about this. Yeah, Havoc has a significant amount of power, but when it's something like that, there's no way they're going to be able to get out of it. So they were trying, like, they've been aware of the situation with Bernie and her stepfather for years. So they've been trying to plan revenge in a smart way which won't end up with them in jail. Then they have to go get their marriage certificate. So Vic bribes Pamela, who is Bernie's mother, to meet them at the courthouse and sign off because she's still underage, so she needs a parent's signature in order to get married. And this part is like... She pretty much sells off her daughter for, like, wasn't it, like, $5,000 in, like, a handbag or something? Yeah, so, or like 10K, something like that. Yeah. She's like, do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care anymore. And I'm pretty sure that Bernie makes a comment, like, don't worry, mother, like, we have my dowry. And I'm like, actually, Bernie, that, that it goes the opposite way, generally, but. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. I get you, the point. you would be I, giving your groom money. Yes, I get the point that she was trying to make, but, oh, Pamela's just awful. Yeah, she's the worst. Uh. 
But then when they return to school after dealing with the wedding certificate, Havoc gets arrested by the Violent Gang Task Force because Britney's father is convinced that Hale fucked Britney over after Britney found out that he wasn't the father of her child. Which, uh, I mean, we should have known that something like this was going to happen and bite them in the ass. You know, there's you definitely shouldn't confess that you're the father of an unborn child when you don't know, like, if that's true. Yes, so that, so they're dealing with that, but then as they're getting taken out of the school in handcuffs, guess who shows up? The Thing! And The Thing is trying to use this moment as an opportunity to kidnap Bernie. So The Thing shows up in Miss Keating's office, and goddamn do we love Miss Keating in this scene. And he's like, Bernie, sweetie! And we're, of course, all the readers are like, oh god, what is this man up to if he's calling Bernie sweetie? And he's like, uh, we're going to take you down to the station because all your boys just got arrested. And Miss Keating is like, um, let, let's not. Let's not do that. And then he fucking pistol whips Miss Keating. It's awful. Awful. But yeah, I I'm, honestly, ugh. the thing, like, that's the kind of shit that he pulls. As... As someone who loves Miss Keating so much, I was so upset at this point in the story. So he pistol whips Miss Keating and is like dragging Bernie out of the school. And then fucking Callie pops up and is like, hi, Neil. And it's like, bitch, what the fuck do you think you're getting yourself into here? Callie is just so gross. So this is kind of when we get the implication that Neil is probably the father of Callie's baby. Although, is that ever confirmed? I don't think so. They're, they both die before it can be like... Well, there's, there's a spoiler <laughs> alert for you. If you weren't sure if the list is going to be resolved. The Thing and Callie definitely both die. But yeah, nobody confirms that. Yeah, so... But, I mean, honestly, with Callie, you never know. She was sleeping with, like, five different guys, so yeah. it could have really been anyone. I mean, which it's is really fine. Roulette wheel. Like, Bernie, you know, is also sleeping with five different guys, but th- that situation's a little bit different. Yes. Uh, so he, being the fucked up person that he is, drags her out of school and takes her to the graveyard where her sister is buried. And decides that he's going to play hide and seek with her. And if he catches her, he's going to kill her. Which, like, what a sick, creepy fuck. Yes. A hundred percent, yes. And also, I'm like, wow, I can't believe how much shit happened in book two. Like, it's insane. It's so much. So much happened in book two. So she's running around this graveyard trying to survive and escape her stepfather. And he has a gun, obviously. And she, at one point, gets into, like, a struggle with him where she is able to kick the gun away. And she dives into a grave to get away from him. Which, like, Uh, wouldn't necessarily be my first move if, you know... I'm trying to avoid getting shot, but okay, Bernie. Ew, and he's like, ugh. 
at a certain point he's like laying down on top of her and he's like asking her if it's turning her on and it's like oh gross god he's so fucking cringy like why why just you fucking creeper uh but the boys managed to track her because they put a tracker on neil's police cruiser and I don't know how they're able to get out of police custody that quickly. That doesn't seem plausible to me. They but have, like, a whole, you know, like, I guess they probably have, like, a lawyer on retainer, right? I think that's what they said. But, uh, so they're out of police custody, and they go and rescue her in the graveyard. And they're able to get a handle on the situation. As they're getting a handle on the situation, they are able to basically... Um, get Neil under control and start enacting the revenge that Bernie requested in the form of getting back at the thing for all the terrible things that he did to her sister and her. He hasn't been particularly nice to her either. Nope, not at all. They have to disguise the fact that they're going to fuck up Neil, so they drop his police cruiser off in front of a house party and they have... Uh, the wonderful Stacy, yes. girl boss Stacy, start <laughs> a riot for them. Favorite parts. Starts a fucking riot for them and destroys the police cruiser in the process in order to make sure there was no evidence left behind. Which is like, what a badass! I just love her, and I really wish that her and Bernie could, could be, could have been close. I know, I. That would have been a lovely friendship that I would love to see. So, at this point, they have Neil in captivity, and they're saving him as her wedding present. The wedding present is that they're going to bury Neil alive in the grave that was dug in the graveyard that she was in yesterday. Which, like, I'll give them credit. That's, you know, that's a very thoughtful wedding present. It is. I... I'm giving you the power to kill the man who raped your sister and led to her death. I think that's a pretty thoughtful wedding present. Yeah. And I mean, very fitting for Havoc. Yeah, so they actually give him two options. They give him an oxygen tank to prolong his death. And then they also give him a knife so that he can, like, slit his own throat or wrist and end it quickly. And I think that's... That's a special kind of torture right there. Yeah, and, like, it's so frustrating to me, too, because I know that Neil is not going to be man enough to just end his own life. Yeah, that's that's definitely implied. Like, the thing is just so, I I don't know, like, he's just such a self-centered douchebag. I mean, obviously, he's someone who, like, preys on innocent young girls. So, after that lovely wedding present... They go and get married at Vic's grandmother's house. Yay! The decrepit mansion. <laughs> what a way to start your wedding with burying your stepfather alive. So they go and get married. It's very sweet. I like that Vic saves his vows to read to her privately so that his mother can't hear them because his mother's the fucking worst. I know. That was so cute and unexpected for Vic. They were really sweet vows. That was not what I was expecting. I know. That's not what I was expecting either. I'm pretty sure that I talk about that in book three. 
Um, but her wedding dress is black, which I love for her. Very fitting. Very fitting. And wait, is it Oscar who marries them? I think it is. Yes, Oscar marries them. <laughs> I love that. Like, oh, just him and his sassy demeanor, like <laughs> speaking elegantly at a wedding. I love it so much. So they get married, then they immediately are cons- uh, consummating their wedding. And Vic is like, all still trying to go with the, I'm not going to share you now that we're married. And it's like, sir, I have some bad news for you. Like, you're still going on about this? Like, still. You being but married be- to Bernie changes literally nothing. And it's become very clear that um, their feelings are very deep for each other. And this is not just a marriage of convenience. But yeah, as Vic often puts it, it's like a primal need for each other. Yeah, like they desperately love each other. And Bernie kind of sees them as soulmates because she sees them as both being broken in like the same ways so that they're drawn together, which I think is kind of beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Book three. So book two ends with them on their way to their honeymoon. And I'll let Ashley lead the discussion on book three because she did most of her note taking for book three. But book three is Mayhem at Prescott High. And this is my boy Callum's cover. How do you feel about Callum's cover, Ashley? Uh, They just did our boy wrong with this cover. So all throughout the entire series, Callum is described having this Disney prince looking face. And he's like got this beautiful blonde hair. And I just feel like there's nothing about this guy on this cover that looks princely like if you ask me it just looks like he has a big nose like it's just it's not what I would have picked for my favorite boy so very disappointing what are your thoughts Sam also my favorite boy also not super happy with this cover but more than my disappointment with who they have portraying Callum I'm more disappointed with how they portrayed Bernie on this cover because it's said several times throughout the series that Bernie is a curvier girl and that she is it's said in the first book that she has giant boobs that she is a a size size G with a 38 G 38 G I'm this woman on this cover she's beautiful I would never body shame anyone but I want to make sure that the character is being represented accurately this is not a 38 G and this is not a woman who's a size 8 this is like a size 2 or a size 0 woman so like if you're gonna tell me that you're representing thicker curvier girls with a female main character make that true on the front cover and it's like frequently mentioned how often bernie's mom would like body shame her so uh, to me i think it would be important to the author that you know bernie is represented appropriately on the covers but you know it's definitely something that's disappointing Okay. Yes, I agree. So let's get us started. Start us off with book three, Ash. <laughs> so book three begins with Bernie and Vic pretty much fucking like rabbits because they're on their honeymoon. I mean, it's just like wholly unprotected sex. Like you forgot I, the Batman. Wholly unprotected <laughs> sex, Batman. <laughs> yes, but thank you for that lovely addition. <laughs> and so there like comes a point. 
where Oscar and Hale are like, oh my god, are you guys fucking, like, again? And they're like, we can hear Bernie screaming from, like, outside of the hotel, so can you maybe not do this with the balcony doors open? Do you love that the Havoc boys came on their honeymoon with them? Because I do. Yes, I love it. And also the girls came on the honeymoon with them, which I also love. Um, so anyway, um, I really like that, you know, during this, you kind of get some intimate aspects about things with Vic. Um, you know, I think that the reproduction kink is talked about a little bit more. <laughs> Vic is pretty much like, I like your cunt. I like filling you with my seed. I'm primal and stupid and horny. Want to try to tame me, Bernadette? Like, that last part is, like, so corny and cheesy. But yeah. he's so into this whole, like, reproduction kink. And Can we Bernie... talk about the fact that I hate how semen is described in all romance novels? Yeah. I don't like the word seed. I don't like the word cum. I don't like the word semen. Don't tell me about semen. That's not the part I'm interested in. I mean, like, I don't mind referring to it as those things, but I guess, like, I guess it's, like, anything is better than, like, jizz or, like, <laughs> I don't know, like splooge or something like that <laughs> i like that it's a little bit more mature i guess Not um splooge. <laughs> i know you probably haven't heard that since like high school but but i'm taking it there <laughs> if you'll notice my um my parts of the books that we're talking about are going to be a little bit more relaxed and unprofessional than sam's <laughs> um anyway getting the train back on the tracks um, I like that Bernie talks a little bit about Vic's tells. She has this innate connection with him, and she talks about how he chain smokes when he's nervous and he rubs his chin when he's deep in thought. And I just like having that, you know, understanding of Vic and knowing that he has all this bravado and confidence and he has to be in control, but actually under the surface, he's hiding all these complex emotions and the anxiety that comes, you know, with being in charge of all these people and running a complex crime organization. So, the more yeah, I know. definitely love that. Like, we get that little insight into his character and the things that make him more human. Yes, you know, he kind of has this larger than life personality when in reality he's still a eighteen year old guy. That's a lot of responsibility on someone who's eighteen. <laughs> And I yeah, think that seriously. there is a time, like, where he's even like, I'm only 18 years old. Like, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> In general, this story is a lot for everyone involved. It is. And I think that so much of that is the fact that when you live in poverty, you have to grow up quicker than, you know, people who have privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely. you can obviously see a difference between Brittany and the Havoc Boys and Bernadette. Like, she lives such a like a cushy life compared to what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh -huh. um, another one of my favorite things that happens fairly early on in this third book is the Hummer blowjob scene, which you and I have talked about quite a bit. <laughs> um, nobody knows how to give a better Hummer than a girl from the South Side. That's a direct quote from Bernadette as she's, like, sucking Vic's cock. And I need to know... Have you ever given a Hummer? Because I just feel like my husband would be like, 
what the fuck is going on here? This is not something I've ever participated in. And Ashley and I had this conversation. And I also asked Andrew, like, does that sound like something that would interest you? And he's like, absolutely not. Like, I just don't think I could take myself seriously if I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you stick with like one steady hum or do you do like interrupted hums? So great questions. If if you have any insight, please. I'm very curious. Um, but basically, um, we go back over Vic's vows to Bernie that he whispers in her ear while he fucks her. And there's also some other stuff that happens where they're kind of like, you know, Aaron takes the girls to the aquarium with Callum. And, like, Callum makes, like, two kids, like, pee their pants because he scares them. <laughs> But the guys kind of have something up their sleeves and they go on like a dune buggy like ride. Um, And during this dune buggy ride, they catch sight of the Vincents. And we talked about earlier how Bernadette had her social worker on the list. And that is Coralie Vincent. Um, So she's the one that placed Bernie with the pedophile family of... Eric and Todd Kushner, and I don't think that Todd was actually a pedophile. He was just kind of, like, the enabler, right? Like, he allowed Eric to do all these things and, like, helped to get the girls for him, right? Yeah, that was my understanding, was that he was helping, like, procure boys. Which, I mean... Not boys, little girls for his son. That's just as bad. You're, like, complicit in this whole thing. But anyway... Oh, absolutely. So they, like, follow the Kushners back to their beach house after, like, well, isn't they, like, hit them with their, like, dune buggy yeah, or whatever? They're doing, they're riding dune buggies and they intentionally yes. crash their dune buggy into theirs. Yes, and they're like, oh, there's no way we're getting our security deposit back. But anyway, um, so apparently the Kushners were going to buy another little girl from them and that's how they knew you know to be here it wasn't just the honeymoon it was kind of like two trips in one um so the Kushners are basically these terrible people that sell children like sex traffic them and so Coralie is a social worker and her husband is a pediatrician and they live in a 3.9 million dollar mansion and it's just like didn't anybody think that this was weird that two people which you know pediatricians make a decent amount of money but social workers i mean pretty much like don't even make enough to survive in my opinion yeah. for the undervalued ter- yes for the terror like the work that they do is emotionally draining and i just don't know how this didn't raise any questions in anybody's mind like nobody was like hey like how are they making all this money to have this amazing mansion so they basically like you know, confront them about what's going on um, and help save this poor little girl, Alyssa, and, like, the girls end up becoming friends and, like, that's super cute and whatever. But, um, so they, like, tie up Coralie and her husband and, like, lock them in a room and they're like, well, we have visitors that are coming and, like, it's somewhat, like, implied that it's going to be Oscar's, uh, Oscar, Vic's mom, Ophelia, And, I mean, they do eventually figure that out, um, that she's involved with it, and, like, she shows up, and she has her husband, or boyfriend, not husband. Mm -hmm. Not husband. The only person that she's really in love with ever has been Vic's dad, and then her other husband she's killed because she's a black widow. 
But anyway, she shows up with her boyfriend Tom and his son David, and Bernie is like, oh shit. Because David has a different last name than Tom, so she never made the connection before, and then she saw him. Well, it turns out that Bernie has slept with him before. Because everything in this world is connected and nothing can be a coincidence. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know, some of it is so, I mean, the whole story, like we said, is pretty unbelievable, but anyway, so, like, they show up, and there's basically, like, this big confrontation, and so we're gonna pause there for uh, book three, and we will pick back up with book three for next week's episode. Uh, we just want to uh, go over what books we've read this week and what we're looking forward to reading for next week. So this week, I've read several things. Um, I read Six of Crows, which was wonderful. I am obsessed with Kaz Brecker, and I'm very excited to read the second book, although I've heard that it's going to rip me apart and tear my heart out. So thank you, Lee Bardugo. Can't wait for that. <laughs> um, I also read another long Germione fan fiction which was a prequel to one of my favorite fan fictions called Wait and Hope, and it's called Beginning and End. Um, and then I read book three of A Death So Sweet, which is called a Violent, which was called Violent Heart, and then also read book three of Hemlock Academy. Both of those were released this week. That's called Three to Find. And then I read books one and two of the Boys of Winter series. Book one is called Dynasty. Book two is called Damage. And then I also read the story Blood Casino. This coming week, I'm very excited to read Willow Hadley's new book of Moons and Monsters. Uh, I'm pumped for that. We're big Willow Hadley fans on this podcast, and I'm excited for another Paranormal Reverse Harem. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Um, I'm also very excited to read, like I said, Crooked Kingdom, the second book in uh, the Six of Crows duology. And I am also planning on reading some more L. Kennedy books. They ha she has the Briar U series, which is all hockey romances. I read The Deal already, and I want to read the three other books in that series. So that's what I'm hoping to get to this week. Ash? Jeez, Sam, you make me sound like the slowest reader in the universe. <laughs> but um, you know that's not true. You had a lot going on this week. <laughs> so basically this week, I really only read Dynasty. The Boys of Winter book one. Um, I felt so-so about it. Don't know if I'm going to read the other books in the series. But um, I also started The Magic of Revenge by Britt Andrews. I have not finished that yet, but I'm going to work my way through it this week. I'm also hoping to read Of Moons and Monsters by Willow Hadley, like Sam mentioned. And I also want to get into The Vampire Games by Caroline Peckham. Um, that was actually recommended to me by Britt Andrews. She used to be a beta reader for them for that series, so I really want to see what it's about. I'm kind of craving something paranormal, but not necessarily reverse harem, so I think that that'll be a good fit for that. Um, I really love any like type of vampire romance, so we'll see what that's all about. But knowing Caroline, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I'm sure it will be, too. Uh, we love Caroline, and we love all of the books that her and Suzanne write as well. So, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Smut and Spice. We hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up our thoughts on Havoc. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love it if you would share our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. You can message us on Instagram or TikTok. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, please feel free to reach out. 
We would love to have you. A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and to our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. And the link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for joining us.